Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast Summer Series. This is the podcast and the summer series all about slow living in a fast world. I'm Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. This is the last of the summer slash winter series. We are at the end of January already. It's gone quick. Yeah, mine, how the year has flown. <laughs> <laughs> Next week will be a check-in episode for us where we will talk about we're on the road. We are officially, our year of travel has started. Actually, a year. I don't want to say a year. I don't want to put time our, in on our it. Our travel has started. Yeah. Our, our adventure, the our adventure. adventure, our experiment, our great experiment. Anyway, that's next week. This week, we have a wonderful conversation that we we're replaying from way back in May of 2017, and that is with the lovely Sarah Wilson. Mm-hmm, it is. This was our most downloaded, most listened to episode of 2017. Awesome. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, it it is. Partly because Sarah just attracts people wherever she goes. She's just, she's like a magnetic person. But also additionally awesome because of what we speak about. And I think the fact that someone as high profile as Sarah Wilson is is writing and speaking so openly about mental health and her journey in dealing with anxiety is phenomenal. I think it's really important. I mean, I've come to the conclusion that the more we speak about these things, openly and honestly, not bathing in self-pity or anything like that, but just openly and honestly talking about our own challenges, I think it empowers other people listening in to go, okay, yeah, me too, or to give words or validation to their experiences. I think it's really important. Because I know that Sarah has been someone that you've admired for quite some time. And and even like the wish list of guests at the beginning of 2017, Sarah was at the top Mm -hmm. of that list. So it's awesome that you you got to speak to her this year. And that's even before reading her latest book about uh, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, a story about uh, anxiety. I'd read that before I interviewed her. I know you did, but before... She oh, was the I top got you. of your list yes, in yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've always admired the way she did things. Like she's she's always stood up. She's never been afraid to have an opinion and she's never been afraid for that opinion to meet resistance or if she is afraid, she doesn't let that stop her. She she's ballsy, she's gutsy. She's mm. yeah, like incredibly intelligent and I was quite intimidated when I sat down to talk to her, but she could not be more lovely. Because mm. she, I mean, was on a similar path to you in that she, you know, had had trouble with anxiety and 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 mental health issues, but she she adopted the same principles. Like she talks about meditation. She she talks about the importance of going for walks and mm. having her own time and. She's an introvert as well. Like it, it. There was just, I think, great commonality, but. A different path, you know, she did it oh, yeah. in, a, in her own way like you have as well. Mm. Yeah, but we absolutely had a lot in common in terms of the strategies and tools that we both use uh, and I think the personality traits maybe as well. Yeah. Definitely. We, Definitely. But we, we, speak, we, we spoke a lot about bushwalking and hiking and why that's so restorative, I think, or why she finds it restorative and we talk – as well about this idea that she introduced me to actually a flaneur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly. Uh, flanner. The fl- 
<laughs> Flano. I think you'll find it's Flano. Uh, the, you know, it's a French word for an urban wandering, you know, because I, I was saying to her how much I enjoyed getting out in the bush and how how I loved, you know, the wide expanses. And she introduced me to this idea of the Flano, which is wandering around your neighborhood. And that can be just as restorative because it is a wandering and a noticing and a paying attention of the details. And while it's not some big, you know, expansive canyon or like a mountain range or anything like that, it is still a wonderful experience in, and I guess exercise in noticing. What a, what better way to enjoy this episode is going for a flaneur while you listen to it. Yep. Don't you think? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I do. That was my best. Um, <laughs> head over to slowyourhome.com slash 157 for the show notes to this episode. And we hope and trust that you've enjoyed this summer slash winter series. Thanks for listening. Sarah, thank you for talking to me. It's a pleasure to talk to you finally because just to get my fangirling moment out of the way, I, I've admired you for a long time. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, that's very, um, that's very flattering. And, you know, I, I'm always up for a mindful chat about going slow because um, it's a good reminder to myself, you know, and mm. to listeners out there, do as I say, not as I do because it's a work in progress for me. See, I'm really glad you said that straight <laughs> off the bat because that's something that I find a little frustrating I think sometimes when people throw back at you the idea of well you talk about slow but it doesn't look like you're doing slow and my response to that is it doesn't always you know mm. I think that's life I mean we tilt into into seasons of busyness and we tilt into seasons of slow and I often find myself going fast in order to go slow do you find yeah. yourself doing the same thing Absolutely. And it's interesting you use the word tilt because I don't know if you got that, that terminology from the same place I've come across it, which is with Marcus Buckingham. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an obscure piece of research. I'm yeah. so surprised we've... No, it's, it's what inspired me. Like I wrote about it in my book, yeah, particularly right. this, this idea of tilting and yes, tipping right. willingly out of balance is that's so right. refreshing. That's right. When we're taught that balance is what we should be striving for. Yeah, and just... Um, for your listeners who haven't read that particular part mm. of your book, Marcus Buckingham, he's a sociologist. I came across him when he used to do some research for Cosmopolitan right. when I was the editor of Cosmopolitan because he does a lot of stuff around women. And he did a piece, a study, looking at um, sort of what the happiest women got right. And what he found was they didn't strive for balance. Instead, they went right life is chaotic let's instead tilt yeah. that is steer our preferences towards the things that matter whenever we can and so yeah I guess in a way it sounds like you live that way Brooke and I do too I I'm a, an A-type I live fast and I move fast mm. and I'm I'm a naturally chaotic person and I've got a lot of things going on and I and I've realized I wouldn't have it any other way Life is short and this is, this is just who I am, you know. But I also see the absolute value of slowing down and perhaps the better word is grounding myself, ensuring that I come back to a grounded place from which I then ensure that any of my sort of fast-moving activity is meaningful. Yes. That's, there's no point slowing down 
just for the sake of slowing down. Exactly. There really isn't. The purpose of slowing down is to actually ensure that we make mindful, meaningful decisions and actions in our lives. That's it. Yeah, and that we're conscious. And for some of us, being fast, you can be fast and conscious. Yeah. You know, and I open up my 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 latest book with an anecdote where I ask the Dalai Lama, this is a nice segue into me promoting my book, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I um, open up with, a, with this exact sort of dilemma. I say to him, how do we stop our mind from going so fast? And his answer was to not bother. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, waste of time. If I went and sat on a mountain in a cave for two years, maybe, maybe I could get my mind to stop you know, for two minutes. Yeah. He said, but waste of time. He said, I've got better things to do. I'm off to Japan tomorrow to talk to 3,000 people, you know. I'm going to talk to you and, and you're going to share the story. And, and what he made me realise is that you can be both, you know, and in the case of my book, you can be anxious and you can have a meaningful, good life. Yeah. You don't have to eradicate anxiety. You don't have to eradicate being a A-type person mm. who you know who's human yeah to it's, be exactly. able to have a good life exactly and that's what I love about your book and I wanted to congratulate you on it first of all because it's wonderful and to thank you for it because it's so honest like I found myself reading it and so many times going, <laughs> thank god I'm not the only person who thinks this yeah it's it's fantastic thank you. some people have described it as ugly um, somebody described, which I take as a compliment, they said it's the ugliest book I've ever read. You go down so low yeah. into the ugliness of those experiences. And I, call, I kind of call them the late at night in the bathroom mirror experiences. Mm-hmm. You know when you come home from a loud party and you look at the, yourself in that bathroom mirror under the bright lights and you look into your eyes and you suddenly feel this incredible, ugly loneliness. Mm-hmm. Like what is this all about? You know, and you write it so honestly. Yeah, Is I have it, nothing to lose. Yeah, I've I feel perhaps I should feel otherwise. Um, I'm a single woman in her mid forties. <laughs> you know, so I'm putting my. It's not the best advertisement, you know, uh, for, for my dateability. But I, I I just feel that I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Hmm. Do you do you worry about it putting putting so much of yourself out there? Do you ever worry about it? No, I, I absolutely don't. I know it's a strange thing. But I, I, don't, I don't see it as putting myself out there. I see myself, like my modus operandi is to have a decent conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I'm predominantly bored, you know, and that's what motivates me in many ways. Yeah. Is I want to have good, interesting conversations with people. And this book has delivered it in spades. I know that sounds like a weird reason to write a book. But, you know, I've actually been able to have wonderful conversations with media and strangers in the street in the supermarket and it's really opened up a whole range of things for myself so for me being exposed is left by the wayside because what it's done is it's got other people to expose themselves to me in a way that again is meaningful yeah you know it's it's authentic and and yeah I, I, I haven't told the stories to get sympathy or to get attention I don't think that's yeah, I don't think it, I hope it doesn't come across that way. I just want to have a conversation, mm. you know, that actually gets down to the crux of what we all want to talk about. Because we spend so much time skirting around things. We do. Which is a common, like a common thread throughout your book. It's, it's like, let's get down to it. Yeah. Like, let's really sit with the discomfort of having these conversations. And yeah, it's ugly. And yeah, it's painful. It's the only but way. It's, ex- exactly. It's the only way. It's worth it. Yeah, it's you, beyond worth it. Yeah. You know, Sesame Street, um, there's that skit. Oh, I think it's a, I can't remember no doubt a puppet said it. 
um, you can't go around it. You can't go over it. We must go through it. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, that's the reality. We can't avoid it. We've got to sit in the pain, sit at the wobbliest table, yeah. sit in the dirt, get grim and gritty with it. Mm. And, and then you kind of go, oh, now I get it. And you can emerge. Which I think is where the idea of slowing down comes into it as well, because essentially for me slowing down is not necessarily about the pace like we've already spoken about but it's removing distractions or removing excess yeah because when we remove those things you get to sit deeper yes that's right we live in a very distracted culture yeah. and in fact i think it's our anxiety that ensure that has seen us get more and more distracted because the more anxious you get the more you want to run from mm-hmm. it right out to distractions the new throw cushion a new boyfriend a new job a new city a new pair of shoes and so the horrible irony is it's that distraction then that then takes us away from the thing that made us anxious in the first place which is a sense that there is something else we're meant to be attending to and that something else of course is a better realer dialogue with ourselves and Mm. the world so there's this horrible circle that you've got to do you have this desire to kind of connect with something meaningful that makes us makes us anxious as we're anxious we then reach out for distractions the distractions keep us further away from it but eventually it all comes unstuck we collapse in a heap and then work out the route to i guess meaningfulness and happiness and and groundedness is to come in closer and to stop reaching out to distractions yeah that sounds really complicated but it actually forms this kind of circle that in some ways we've all got to go through exactly and I look back on like my experiences over the years even as I've been aware of the importance of slowing down and I I see myself doing that circle yeah you know and you can you I think you do become more aware of it and perhaps you're better at cutting it off before it becomes a full-blown kind of collapse I don't know I have that's right yeah the awareness sort of yeah comes with the practice I think of here we go again what can I do to to kind of that's right arrest it before it gets too that's exactly it and so in the book I start the book out after my very you know stellar Dalai Lama anecdote (laughs) it's always good to open a book with a Dalai Lama Lama. you can't Um, really go wrong with that no no that's right but I do actually point out that I actually don't have a solution and Mm. I haven't arrived in this wonderful peaceful place I'm still dare I say it, on the journey. <laughs> but I think that getting older is definitely part of it, but it's just that experience where you can watch yourself going through and go, oh, here we go again. Yeah. And what that means is that you do anxiety once. And what I mean by that is that a part of anxiety, especially when you're younger, or if you're not actually being really fired up about mm. facing all of this stuff, is you get anxious about being anxious. Then you get anxious about being anxious about being anxious. Yep. Like, oh, my God, I'm not meant to be feeling this way. Everybody else is coping with life. I should be doing this. That dialogue is what takes us down the spiral. So if you can actually just do the anxiety or the, the ickiness mm-hmm. once and just sort of pass through it and sort of be aware that, okay, yes, I'm drinking too much coffee and yep. I've been on my computer at 10, 11 o'clock at night... If you just witness it and go, okay, all right, yeah, all right, we'll try to we'll try to recalibrate tomorrow. That's right. Then then you don't get anxious, you know, about the, the fact anxiety. That you are. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, but look, you know, at the moment, I I'm going through as we as we sat down to chat, I was letting you know that I'm going through quite a big transition in my life, 
you know, part of it is really getting real about the stuff I've written about in my own book. You know, I need to do a regroup, refocus, yeah. you know. I've been getting onto the Instagrams, you know, after my nine o'clock curfew and I've been flitting, mm. you know, wanting to be out in the world, meeting up with people a little bit too much. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm sort of coming back home to home again, you know. I'm, I'm having to do that practice again. Yeah. I think that's really interesting to see that the – process I guess of publishing this book where you go so deep into your own processes and strategies and all of that and then Mm. you you find yourself having to come back to it I think people listening and I know for me it's just it's it's nice to know that that's everyone's experience you know that but doesn't it feel intuitive because I think that we've run around and I don't and not everybody has a diagnosed anxious disorder but everybody can relate to Uh, increasing anxiety levels in our lives but I think that the sense that somehow anxiety should be a disorder Mm. doesn't sit right with most Mm. people because for starters it's an evolutionary thing it's kept us alive we need it for a lot of things we need it even to get up and do public speaking if I didn't have that sort of frisson every time I had to get up and do a, a talk I probably wouldn't perform so well so we do know that that's the case I also know with my obsessive compulsive disorder and my bipolar that and it's strange even just be able to say it now now that I've written a book about it there's no there's no getting around sort of you know acknowledging that these are part of my life but I know that I mean I've always felt these are not disorders yeah. you know people used to sort of drug me out and tell me that I ha- had this problem and it didn't you know I used to say to them but I'm the sanest person I know, which of course makes you sound very bipolar. Um, And I think there's this sense that really, why are we feeling bad about feeling this way? Yes. And I think that that's that's the discussion as well, isn't it? That, you know, okay, it's okay to feel this bad. It's okay to have these moments where life's pretty shit and everybody's out having a fabulous time and you're just you're just going through a couple of days a couple of hours whatever it might be of just a bit of shittiness yeah and it's generally for a very good reason yes because you emerge with an insight a plan for going forward a softness that you needed to access or a recognition that there was something going on and you needed to stop like you needed to be pulled up you needed that's right this collapse in a heap and and sit on the couch for a few nights and cry yeah yeah, exactly. it's important. It is. It is. Yeah. And I think maybe we're, are we coming out the other side of this kind of trend of let's all pretend that everything's wonderful all the time. Yeah. And now we're, we're feeling it's actually not only okay, but important to talk about the times that we don't feel okay. Yeah. And not be that. Like, we don't need to be the person with, like, we don't need to be the depressed person, but we can experience depression. We don't need to be yeah. anxious. That's not who we are, but yeah. it's part of who we are. I think it segues nicely back to that whole slow discussion as well because I think maybe sometimes being kind of rendered tearful on the couch, mm. anxiety or depression or whatever it might be, is actually our sort of psyche's way of slowing us down. Yeah. Ironically enough, we go so fast, we get so frenzied from our anxiety, it sees us collapse in a heap. Mm. So if you can actually notice when that happens and notice, okay, now it's time to slow down and be and cooperate with it, yeah. you can actually move through it really well. And so I very much do that. I hate this whole hashtag self-care thing, you know, this notion of burning candles and, you know, I'm just going to spend some time with myself. I think it, could be, it verges into another external grasping yes. out for a solution. 
However, if it's done authentically, if you're actually, you know, not going out and buying scented candles before you actually sit down and do it, you know what I mean? Yes. Like this idea that you've got to go and buy accoutrements before you can actually do the thing. If you're actually really sitting in it, then I think it is a wonderful thing. Mm. You know, that is kind of the way we do need to slow down. We have to create a contrast to that frenetic life. What do you? What sort of things do you do to, to ground yourself? Yeah, exercise for me is... I, I need it through the body, yep. you know, so I, I do exercise every morning. So I have a morning routine mm-hmm. and that is something that I talk about quite a lot in the book that um, if you can reduce the number of decisions that you've got to make for as long as you can, you know, yep. I try to get to about, I don't know, 10, 10 o'clock without having to make some kind of ingenious decision um, by, you know, sort of doing stuff by rote. So I get up, I do exercise, I have a little format that I follow, but I, I try to get into the ocean. And I try to get into nature and and literally into dirt. So those things work really well and the science backs it up. You know, there's more and more science, interestingly, coming out to show all of this. So hiking Mm -hmm. is mine. If If I'm going off into... You know, sort of Mr. Squiggle Land, you know, Miss Jane, Miss Jane, put me back down to Yeah. God, I love that. Yeah. I love that. It was so beautiful. And the way that you described other people's partners sometimes as being their Miss Jane. Yeah. That that really resonated with me. Being able to pull your legs back down to earth when you go for a space walk. I've got a Miss Jane. (laughs) Do you? You're very lucky. I've not found my Miss Jane yet. But um, as I say in the book, when you've got a... A, 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 an extreme anxiety disorder, disorder you've got to find your own Miss Jane within yourself yeah. so my, uh, when I have to find my own Miss Jane I go hiking mm. and hiking is just it's just this methodical one foot in front of yeah. the other connecting with dirt and what, you know I use this phrase in the book moving at a, the same pace as discerning thought and, that. and that is so important. So for me, I do that. And I just get out every second weekend. Mm-hmm. And when my insomnia is bad, if I go camping and even one night in the bush, camping in a tent will recalibrate my body for two weeks and I sleep again. Wow. And I've just read some science recently that showed that that sleeping in nature will actually is the best cure for insomnia. So any insomniacs out there, take up camping. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I know that I sleep incredibly well when we camp. Oh, it's just the most I'm wonderful feeling. I'm an insomniac yeah. having to take all kinds of medication. Get me onto a lumpy kind of thermarest mat, you know, on, on the edge of a cliff, and I can sleep nine hours. Yeah. It's ridiculous. That's but fascinating. It's a very, it's a very cheap and effective um, cure. Absolutely. Mm. So I do that. I meditate twice a day, or at least I try to, and I'm back doing that again. I was sort of doing it a little too sporadically mm-hmm. for a while there. I try to eat grounding food, and the process of cooking it in itself is just um, I've realised is a salve. So I. I worked zero waste, so I use up absolutely everything, but yeah. I love that kind of craft of taking food and, and making a lot of slow-cooked things and extracting nutrients, and that to me is really important. Yeah, they're probably the main things, and at the moment I'm also trying to surround myself with good people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's really good people out there. And if you're not slowing down enough to meet up with them yeah. in, in a mindful way, then you sort of miss out. Yeah. You find yourself kind of like a cork on the ocean, going to things... Busy and... but isolated. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it means saying no to a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. How do you... Do you find that difficult? No. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm... 
Look, if anything, I I need to actually, or no, I don't find it difficult because it's become intolerable for me to be in the company of freneticness and people who aren't, you know, wanting to have a discussion about real stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I can do my, I can do chit chat, you know, I don't mind it. And I think there's a lovely art to it, but um, I can't do frenzied party stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's just age. Maybe. And maybe it's also just, because uh, I'm the same, tapping into what's fulfilling for yeah. you and what's not. And yeah. maybe getting older, you're like, well, I don't have the, the tolerance for things that aren't fulfilling anymore. Yeah. And I think it's also just that frenetic energy. Mm. When you're out at night and it's, or it might be a sort of a, a loud brush lunchtime thing. Um, I don't know. But it's when you're around a lot of people grasping at something else. Mm. My worst nightmare is a stand-up cocktail party. <laughs> Because it's drinks, it's not enough food, yes. and it's food that's kind of cheap, yeah, 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 cheap quality, and everyone's looking over each other's shoulders. Who can I talk to next? Yeah. It's horrible. Oh, my God, it sends me mad. Yeah. I wish I was a smoker sometimes, because I would like to go out and just stand on a balcony and smoke. And perhaps have a conversation with yes, someone. that's right. <laughs> um, how do you deal with technology? What You mentioned before that you have a curfew of 9pm. Oh, I'm a shocker. Yeah, I'm a shocker at the moment. And I, my business has, you know, is based on technology, but it's interesting. I have just switched off from the, I quit sugar, Instagram, Facebook and, and feeds. And that's partly because I'm giving the business a chance to breathe and have its life without me. Right. Sort of, you know, all over it. Yeah. Um, And giving the the business a chance. It's got all its IP. It's got all, everything's set up Mm. and I'm now sort of taking the training wheels off. Yeah. So working in the business at a, an arm's length distance now, which is great, and from, from a director role. And was that a inten- very intentional thing for Been you? Been working for, on it for 18 yeah. months. Okay. Yeah. So that's just happened, and it kind of coincided with the launch of the book yeah. beautifully. Perfect. And it's not without its teething problems. So I've backed off from that. I kind of allow myself a certain amount of technological interaction, but I'm really trying to observe when I'm reaching for it yes. um, compulsively, which is a lot. I've realised that I've got myself into, you know, a sort of a bit of a brain pattern yeah. uh, where I'm compulsively needing reinforcement and mm. you know yeah yeah absolutely and I get it because I've got you know so many people who are exactly. tapped into what you're doing exactly yeah. so I can go onto Instagram and you know I'll have another lot of followers and I'll have some lovely comments yes. and I'll feel loved and that actually isn't such a bad thing because I get feedback yeah. and I can hear where people feel you know are at and I guess that comes down to having communications that you emit on social media that aren't too flippant or unkind yeah. or, or whatever so you actually kind of try to create a, a decent conversation around what you're doing but um yeah technology i'm on it all day mm-hmm. you know i'm on email i'm but what i do do is oh, camping and hiking i i turn my phone onto airplane mode whenever i hike because the phone goes down my bra great so i don't want the the emfs and all that stuff and so that forces you know a good couple of hours of no contact um i'll often put on an out of office reply so if i'm away um on holidays i'll put an out of office reply and what i'll say is i'm not checking emails and if your email is still important to you on such and such a date when i'm back could you please resend it yeah and i'll tell you what 
it's amazing how many people find that Google can generally solve their, their right. problem or they can work it out for themselves in some other way. It's yeah. incredible, you know. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do that. That's actually a really good experiment for people to do. I did the same thing over Christmas. And even just for myself, it was so liberating to yeah. me. Nothing is going to blow up. Everything's no. going to be fine. No, <laughs> you know? exactly. And you put things in place ahead of time so that everything will continue as it needs That's to. That's right. But then it's okay to completely disappear yeah, for a week or two. Yeah, and be unavailable. Yeah. Like literally unavailable. unavailable. My meditation teacher says that to me a lot. He says, Sarah, you're too available. Mm. You're available to everybody. And women in particular, we tend to be enablers. We want to help. We want to rescue. We want to solve problems. So you make yourself available. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of the process perhaps of writing this book and everything I have to try to set up structures where I'm not available just to be able to, you know, to get slow and grounded and stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I am doing that. That's I'm great. I'm doing that, yeah. And just, you know, I've got a, a standard reply and I've written a blog post about people who have questions in and around their own anxieties yeah. that I just don't have the time to respond to everybody. Here are some really great reads. Here's some great stuff I've, I've written on the subjects that you're worried about and here's some places to contact. Yeah. And you just point people towards exactly. that. Exactly, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's smart. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from everything else, yeah. it's just smart to do it that way. Yeah. Because otherwise your to. day would be spent responding to emails yes yeah 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 i mean as it is i've got somebody i've got a i've got customer i mean i quit sugar we have five customer service full-time customer service people working 24 7 just answering people's questions plus 40 plus 42 or so it is at the moment experts who respond on the on the forums so psychiatrists and dietitians Um, but then just for my personal blog stuff i've got somebody who works full-time right you know, yeah. answering questions, yeah, answering emails and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, going back to your bushwalking, hiking, yes. love of it, I've, that's something I've recently rediscovered and my family and I head out every weekend. Uh, I find myself within about 10 minutes, and we, I mean, we're, our kids are six and eight, so we yeah. don't go huge distances, but we got up to about 10 kilometres now, which, good, is, which yeah. is good for a six-year-old. I yeah. think he's doing pretty well. Uh, but I find myself with this most moronically massive grin on my face within about 10 <laughs> minutes yeah. of being in the bush. Yeah. What's, I mean, what's your physical response to being uh, outside Probably the best nature? word is an unfurling. Mm. It takes a while. My my head's going as I you know as I sort of set off as I and I love working out a route and making you know the the I call it fending mm. where you've got to fend. And again, women, I'm jumping around all over the place here, but I think it'll answer the question. Is women don't necessarily have outlets, especially growing up, growing up to fend in that sort of primal way. Yeah. So boys get out there, climb trees and, and do dangerous things a yes. little bit more and are encouraged to do so. And I think girls, particularly today, who don't have that forum. Now, I was really lucky. I had, you know, four younger brothers and I was king of the kids. So I had to sort of lead that climbing trees and just taking off for the day and fending. Mm outrunning snakes and chasing foxes and climbing up over barbed wire fences and having rangers in the forest behind the property where we lived chase us and all this kind of thing and it was making do so I love that process of almost you know you've got to you've got to find your way up and over rocks and through trees and make sure you've got the right track and 
be alive yes. to your part in the world, yeah. you know, rather than having everything sanitized and mapped out for you. I love that kind of sense of adventure and then, uh, and slight risk. And then, yeah, I, I guess after, for me, it probably takes, yeah, 20 minutes and then my head starts to get into a rhythm and just thoughts just bubble to the surface yeah. and I don't really pay much attention to them. Sometimes I'll invent something or I come up with great ideas and unfurl and unfurl. My body unfurls mm. and my body suddenly starts to feel really strong mm-hmm. and agile and I can sort of dance my way up and down rocks and across streams and that kind of thing. And I like going very minimally. Yeah. So I just take off. It's the same outfit. It's a pair of shorts, it's a sports bra with an opal card and a credit card, <laughs> you know, with an opal card and a credit card, you sort it. Exactly. You know, and my phone down my bra. And I generally, if it's a point to point walk, I'll keep a, I'll slug a whole heap of water, yep. like a litre and a half. And then when I come back, have another lot, you know, so I try not to carry stuff with me. I don't take snacks. Yeah. Like people's obsession with snacking, I just don't get. It's just another thing that bogs down your life. So I eat a big breakfast and then I I love sort of generally I eat a packet of chips on my way home. It's just my thing, you know, salt and wrongness yeah. uh, on the train. It's a ritual. Yeah, yeah, I love it. My whole kind of psyche unfurls mm. and it feels really primal and I actually really like doing it on my own. That's what I was going to ask you. And mm. do you camp overnight on your own, yes. solo camp? Yeah. Yeah, I've done a few. Have you? Yeah. I mean, I don't. I reading your book and, and knowing a bit about you, I don't know that you'd find that scary. I think no, you'd find that I love wonderful. Yeah. 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 I guess what prompted you to start that was it the idea of being alone or the idea of doing more challenging walks? The idea of confronting another fear. Mm. I, I kind of it's like right. I haven't. I, I need to do that. So let's go and do it. Yeah. And the, the first one I did, it was actually up in the Blue Mountains where I camped on my own. Mm-hmm. I set out and I had to drive from Canberra up the back way. And there was this creepy guy that I saw at one town and um, he was sitting on the bonnet of his car in head to toe camo. And I, you sort of noticed that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he was at the next town as well, sitting on the bonnet of his car. And I thought, this is weird. Oh, bizarre. And then I had to go and get uh, an emergency beacon from Blackheath ranger because I was going out on my own and by the time I set out it was four o'clock in the afternoon and I get down this sort of two kilometer dirt track to the start of the walk and who's there camo guy and I'm just like oh no anyway I was like right I'm not gonna let camo guy ruin this walk for me so I set off down into the the valley and um get to sort of my first camp spots of two hours later and thinking there'll be lots of families there It was Christmas time, it was right. between Christmas and New Year's, right? You'd imagine it would be packed. No one, not a single soul. And it was kind of a, 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 a an area that is sort of off the beaten track. Right. So I went, okay, so what are we going to do now? Anyway, I had a, a little pen knife, you know, for my dinner, and I decided to go over the creek and I just hid in, found a little spot to hide. Right. And I was perfectly fine. Right. I was really happy. And I sort of, you know, went back to the creek and had bathed that night and was kind of had my head torch looking. And I just thought, you know what, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. I just don't want to actually have this time ruined. Yes. And I had the best night. I was reading a wonderful book. You know, I had my little camp stove and my food. I went and bathed in the river late at night. It was in my tent at 8.30. And just lying there, emergency beacon and knife at my hand, you know, like within reaching (laughs) distance. And I was just like, oh, this is just wonderful. And it's 
I talk about it in my book that people with extreme anxiety, often, especially bipolar, we like to take risks. Mm. And I think it's because, I mean, it's part of the condition. And in fact, I postulate and based on other people's theories, not my own, but that, you know, it's an evolutionary quirk that actually meant that there was a percentage of us, about 1.2% of the population, who will do risky things to right. extend the human condition. Right. So we were the ones that would cross the mountain to go and see another clan so that we didn't interbreed. Yeah. And uh, we were the ones that would go and discover, oh, these people over here have invented a wheel, mm. this thing called the wheel. <laughs> Let's bring it back to our community, you know. And yeah. so we needed people who were risk takers and so I think that's in in that's the makeup of people who have very high anxiety but the other thing is is that actually for me I like doing risky things that other people don't necessarily like doing like hitchhiking because it puts my ridiculous anxiety the stuff that I make up in my head into perspective it's like all right well all right, I get anxious about that, but I can do this. Yes. And I don't know, it just makes me, it makes me feel, I do a little air punch to myself. Right. So you're going to overcoming or a... Yeah. yeah and embracing and a, of it. And it's a sense, I also talk about this in the book, is there's this sense of embracing your own weirdness. Yes. Yeah, I, um, I'm a big, big believer in embracing our own weirdness. Yeah. I just think it's incredibly important because otherwise, what are we going to do? Just dull ourselves down so that we look like every other it is a thing that makes you because it's generally from the weirdness that you're actually able to give out and create and and give to the world so I've written quite a lot on my blog about whimsy and being a whimsical like being whimsical Mm. and I love whimsical people like when you come across people who do seriously weird shit (laughs) you know um, and they play with it for no other reason than just to kind of play with a a whimsical idea. Yeah. The wabu sabi, is it? Yes, yeah, wabu sabi, yeah. Yeah, Japanese kind of thing where you create perfection and then put a chink in it. Exactly. Why not? Yeah, yeah, you know? why not? <laughs> and, and our eye goes to it. And we, for some reason, yeah, I think the human experience is attracted to that whimsy mm. and that quirkiness and that weirdness and that moment of doing something a bit sort of off, off kilter. Yeah. And yeah. it's special. It, well, it is. Mm. I mean, and I also think that it's... Um, it's sort of a mark of some of the things that people would like to be able to do themselves and are too scared to do as well, you know. Well, it's conquering. Yeah. Um, It's true challenge, isn't it? I think it's also that kind of stuff is about, again, drawing on your own reserves, right? Yes. Fending. Yep. Grounding, coming back to yourself. And I think, um, again, it's all of that practice. I guess, yeah, my life is a lot about experiments that ensure Mm. I keep doing these things to build up that part of my brain. I love experimentation. Mm. I think it's the best way to go about things because you remove, first of all, you remove failure. Yeah. You're just seeing what's what's going to happen. What happens if? Yep. What if I did this? Suck it and see exactly. is one of the mantras on the wall at I Quit Sugar. Is it? We've got six mantras and one of them's suck it and see because the team hear me see it, say it so often. Yeah. You know, people say, what about this? And I go, suck it and see. Just give it a little go. Don't do it big. Don't do a whiteboard bloody planning chart thing. Just, <laughs> Just go and go. do it. <laughs> Try it and see if people like it. Yeah. It's my, one of my husband's favorite sayings. He's always saying it. Yeah. yeah right. I think. Yeah. And so last year we did, he and I did sort of a year of slow living experiments and we did things like tech free bedroom and yep. just really simple things like meditation for yeah. 30 days in a row and it was phenomenal just I think kind of presenting it to ourselves as an experiment means let's just 
remove it's any play. exactly it's so playful mm. and remove any expectations of what this is going to look like yeah. and see and so many of them have become just part of what we and do and you get a result yes that's the other thing yeah. uh, we it, today it's so hard to get a result everything takes so long yeah. even though everything's meant to be faster <laughs> there's all these processes and rigmaroles and very rarely do we get a line drawn in the sand and it's actually really satisfying to do something small mm. and personal where you're not relying on anybody else yeah and that's a really important thing yes all those experiments you and your family did sound like they were things that don't require anything then nothing there's no contingencies yeah. oh we've got to wait for the such and such person to come and fix the such and exactly such. yeah it didn't require equipment it didn't ah. require In investment fact, the opposite. exactly and so i think that it's a rare moment where we can actually get a result and do an air punch yeah mm-hmm. absolutely uh so you mentioned that you you hike minimally which i think is really cool and you also write on your personal blog about minimalism and simplicity yeah. and you live kind of nomadically yeah. at the moment. Have you always been someone who's, who's not been interested in stuff? I'd say yes. I grew up sort of that way. Yeah. Mum and dad lived minimally, not out of any kind of philosophical kind of edict, but from being broke. Yeah. And so we just kept, we just, I mean, it was simpler back then, I suppose, but my parents and my family were particularly simple. Like we had zero rubbish only because everything was used. Used, Even our dead goats were used to sort of, we put them in the erosion gully so that they, you know, to stop the erosion, you know, everything had another purpose. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was the editor of Cosmopolitan where I got sent lots of stuff Mm. and I hated it. And so, and I... I've never owned a handbag in my entire life, which was an odd thing for the editor of Cosmo. Um, but And I think, yeah, I've always kept things very minimal and I've always found shopping very anxiety-riddled. And so I've avoided it. And, of course, I've got I've bought into that whole notion that, oh, I need to go and buy something crisp and new. Yeah. And I've bought into it for a while. And it always made me feel... It took me years and years to, to work out that it actually made me feel horrible. Mm. And so... And I've got more and more extreme, I suppose. It was sort of with my minimalism. So just gradually. So for seven years, I've lived out of two suitcases of belongings. And I don't even need all of them, you know. So I've not lived in my own place. I live in sort of Airbnbs and people's furnished places who are away for six months or something. And, And that works. It's just such freedom. I hate going to the shops and every time I go to think about it, like I'm currently on four pairs of underpants and it's time for me to go and buy some more, but I kind of keep putting it off. I reckon I could probably cope with three for a while, you know? How far can we stretch this? That's right. And it's it's not painful. That's it. It's absolutely not painful at all. And it's amazing Mm. how I can, you know, everybody now is used to me wearing the same clothes. And I went to an event last night and a few people commented on how, you know, somebody came up to me and said, oh, you know, I rang so-and-so and said, what are you wearing? And we thought it was, you know, we should probably wear something dressed up. And she was wearing lace and leather and heels and the whole thing. And I was wearing these running shoes, a pair of legging, you know, like kind of fancy leggings, which yeah. I wear all the time. And tea back bra, a singlet, a shirt over the top, a jumper and a jacket because I walked there. Um, but, you know, a denim jacket. I was literally the only woman in the room in flat shoes. Right. Um, but I just sort of went, oh, I think that's just, you know, nobody expects any more out of me now. Yeah. And it's a relief. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I'd been working all day. I hadn't had a shower and done my hair. I just went straight there. Mm. I just thought, oh, it doesn't, 
Nobody cares. Yeah. I think that's one of the really interesting things about these expectations that we feel. You know, we, yeah. we think there's expectations of us, and sometimes there are, and sometimes they're unfair, but so often no one cares. Well, they don't even notice. No, that's right. Everyone's wrapped up in their own <laughs> yeah. thing that they don't notice. And it's not because they don't care about you, but people don't – it's, not a, it's no. not a thing that they pay attention to. And, you know, a few friends have said things like that have made me realise that the way that I live now is something that is sort of it's – a, it's a quirky kind of talking point for them, which I don't mind because I think they're starting to learn from it yeah. and starting to see how much easier it makes my life. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about how – oh, we always know if we give you 15 minutes to get ready, you'll be there five minutes early, <laughs> things like that, because I can just go, yeah, I'm ready to go. Mm. But, yeah, it's just it's made my life a lot faster. I get a lot more done. You know, I ride a bike everywhere, and the bike can go with me everywhere. It's uh, a single speed. It doesn't have grease and chains and all of this kind of thing. So people, are, you know, I go to a meeting, and uh, the, the bike comes into the meeting yeah. room with me, and nobody minds, you know, because it's clean and it's simple and... And I can stop off on the post office, I can stop off on the way, pick up something if I have to, and it's just effortless and seamless. Mm. It's an elegant way of living. And I find that, again, you're fending. You know, Mm -hmm. if I've got to go and make, you know, I I cook for a living and I can make things out of the simplest, you know, I've I've written cookbooks on Greek islands and you find ways to create. And if if I can make it on a one pot burner in a cottage, on a, a remote Greek island, then you know what? Most people can probably make that's it at right. home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way I see it. And they're the kinds of recipes that I like working to and I think more and more people like working to. I, I, I can't recommend it highly enough, really. Yeah. I find it really interesting. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a woman named um, Annie Razor Rowland. She's written a book called uh, The Art of Frugal Hedonism, oh, which is really yeah, cool. Heard of it. Yeah. I, I really love it. Yeah. Uh, and she speaks so be- writes so beautifully about the simple pleasures but in a way that is not cliche and it's not kind of done to death it's just really beautiful yeah. and she lives this this simple wonderful rich life and the interesting thing is all of her friends are envious of it but they're over there working they 50 hours a week because they're trying to to gain the richness and the joy that she has by working part-time yeah. and wanting less and having less yeah. and, and living more and I just find it, it really fascinating that, like you said your friends are starting to see the benefits of the way that you're living. And I think, I mean, I, I, I have a funny relationship with the term minimalism because I think it's kind of being co-opted to be something which it isn't. I totally agree with you. The main thing I have a problem with, and I've just finally watched The Minimalists after sort of reading their blog for a while, mm-hmm. and everybody's talking about it on, you know, it's the Netflix documentary. But it's, well, first of all, they're seen there drinking out of takeaway coffee cups, which just kills me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're truly minimalist, you, you that you, resources are the real issue. It's not yeah. an the problem with minimalism is it's put out there as an aesthetic yes. thing, and it shouldn't be another aesthetic kind of accoutrement or yeah, exactly. fad. It's about genuinely being concerned about resources. Yes. So people say, oh, and they mistake it with decluttering. Yes. Decluttering is a terrible thing because. You're chucking perfectly good stuff out. Exactly. And I'm like, don't throw anything out. Use it until it dies and don't replace it. And there's so many resources that if you genuinely don't want things anymore, that's fine. But try and take the time to to move it on to a place that can use it. That's right. You know, there are – and I I agree with you. Like, let's just not buy things that we don't need in the first place and use them literally to death. And have fun using – 
the dregs. Exactly. Up. You know, on the I Quit Sugar program, we tell people to get rid of sugar. But I say, all right, if you've got a kilo of sugar in, in your pantry, this is what you can do with yeah. it. It's the best face scrub. Yeah. Just mix it with, you know, some cleanser or some olive oil or some coconut oil and never buy a face scrub ever again. again. And there's a whole bunch of other things that you can do with it. And I, I list uh, list them for people but everything can be used yeah everything exactly um, which is what i love about simplicious i think that's such a fabulous book yeah it's the I mean, most thumbed book in my house oh good yeah and i get sent stuff even though on my blog i say please do not send me anything mm. unless you check in with me first yep. but i get sent beauty products and even though they've got chemicals in them i will use them because i do not want to throw them out and it's the same with organic food as well. I have a problem with everybody being obsessed by organic and they'll go to the extent of buying, I don't know, avocados from Peru because they're, they're organic, organic. Yeah. and they'll be, or sweet potatoes wrapped in plastic because they're organic. This kills me. Yeah. It absolutely kills me. I know. The fact that, that all the organic stuff is wrapped in I plastic and I know, yeah. but I boycott it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. You know, and I'll buy the take your spray bag, stuff. You take your bags along with you and <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, no, but I, I'm minimal thing. I think it is actually quite important though to make it aesthetically. Well, not aesthetically, but to make it look like it's a joyful thing. Like that person you were mentioning, the frugal hedonism yeah. woman. It is important, and you know, I think on Simplicious, on the fake cover on the inside where I go making cabbages sexy since 2015 <laughs> or something like that. But it's about trying to make food scraps and all of that sexy. And, yeah. and that is important. We do need to make it attractive. I th- I agree. You know, you yeah. don't want people to feel like they're going to be doing without because yeah. Yeah, it's actually the exact opposite. But when it's become this aesthetic thing, and I think people have mistaken or they conflate the two of minimalism as a lifestyle and minimalism as design aesthetic and it drives yeah. me mad it doesn't yeah. need to be like sparse white tiny home yeah in order to be minimal <laughs> um particularly if it means that you had to get rid of an entire house full of that's stuff right. to get there that's right yeah and exactly. yeah i i just or buying the really minimal danish looking lounge which has come through asia has been sprayed is using unsustainable yeah. wood yeah. yeah, exactly, just to fit a particular trend. Mm. So that's and my you go kind throw of, your freedom which is L-shaped good. lounge that's perfectly good yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my, my my issue with it at the moment. That being said, I think it's important that people talk about it and talk about it for what it is, you know, which is mm. more about essentialism, I think, and experientialism and, and stuff just not being important, particularly not the the acquiring of stuff. I think the way Oh we, shopping. The thing is, people say, oh, you hike so much, you know. Gosh, I wish I had the time for it. And I went, that's because I'm not at a mall. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. The problem with going to a mall is it takes so long. Yeah. I mean, that's just one of the problems. But, um, you know, you have to kind of gear yourself up to it. You've got to get park. You know, you then mm-hmm. go in there and you're and going to so buy sucking. one steak knife. And you end up coming out with, you know, all kinds of stuff because you think, oh, while I'm here, I should get a such and such. And it is, yeah, it's soul sucking. Mm. It totally is the bright lights, the music, the smells. I, I just am not exposed to advertising on a day-to-day yeah. basis, right? And it's really funny. The only time I see it is when I go on a train mm-hmm. to go, you know, on one of my bushwalks. And I see all these billboards. And I suddenly, the other day I was looking at an ad for some yoga leggings and I was looking at them going, oh, that'd be a nice thing to own. And I felt myself sucked in by one billboard. Yeah. And I found myself thinking, oh, I must take note of that brand, yeah. you know, and buy it on Iconic or something, you know, terrible. 
But it's, it, I think the, the more you remove yourself from it, the more you become aware of the impact that advertising has. Yeah. Because we're the same. I, I don't watch TV. The only places really I see advertising is on social media, really, or yeah. on the train or something like and that. And it's now so targeted anyway. Exactly. I only get things on sustainable fashion yeah. and, you know, um, travelling in Slovenia, yeah. you know. <laughs> Cheap flights to Slovenia. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I've narrowed down. I mean... Facebook algorithms must really scratch their heads with people like you and I. <laughs> what can we sell you? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I yoga think, retreats. It, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, or ethical leggings or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think I think though you do become more aware of it. Like we were saying, sort of the beginning of the conversation. Uh, and I guess the beauty of becoming more aware of it is that you can just have strategies in place to say, actually, you don't need this. This is not something yeah. that, you, that you need. Oh, look, the, the easiest thing is just don't go to a shopping mall. Yeah. Don't go to the shops because that's where you start to get that hankering yeah. and you just get sucked into it. It's just the easiest strategy. Just go bushwalking. In fact, bushwalking will just solve all your problems. Do you ever bushwalk barefoot? I have done. I went through, I did an experiment, you know, those Vibrams. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a centre pair. <laughs> This is when I was in Byron Bay. So I used to do quite a bit of sort of kind of scrambling and things like okay. that. But, yes, I have done it. I did it in Hawaii, actually. I did a walk because my shoes were wet. And I thought, oh, I'll just do this one barefoot. And yeah. it was great. And there was another girl doing it. It was so muddy. That was it. Right. It was so muddy. There was no point wearing shoes. Yeah. Um, and there were two other teenage girls who did it barefoot. And we were, we were sort of laughing at it. And they said, oh, we quite often do it. It was actually fun. Yeah. I've just started. There's just a little track near our house. And I've just started um, doing it with the kids and at first they just thought I was mad yeah <laughs> but it's really delightful I really enjoy yeah, it's it it's a different type of agility and yes. you use all these different muscles yeah. yeah yeah I've just started reading a bit about um Katie Bowman the the um nutritious movement I think oh, uh, I don't know. yeah she's a physio I think yeah in the states and it's just it's same thing about all these micro movements in your feet that yeah. is different than when you're wearing shoes I don't wear big uh, I've, recently I've bought a pair of hiking shoes mm-hmm. just because I've been doing some bigger hikes yeah but usually I, I would just wear a pair of running shoes like the Nike freeze yeah. which is not an advertisement for Nike although that said these days they are a very sustainably operated company yeah people don't realize that they had to clean up their act and they've cleaned it up really really, really well. well but yeah with the virtual you know invisible soles almost yeah and i actually quite like that my, my the muscles in my feet respond really well yeah to sort of prance rather than clomp i like prancing yeah <laughs> fun. if you could recommend one thing that someone listening to our conversation um could could add to their day that would help them find a little moment of slow something that has worked for you or something mm. that you think most of us are lacking look to be honest i always have to say well it's two things really the first thing is just walk mm-hmm. like walk everywhere walk as often as you can if you've got a meeting you know look at google maps and you'll probably find that it's even faster to yeah. walk than to drive so just walk as often as you can and you'll be surprised what it does like I say, it's at the same pace as discerning thought. Yeah. I think that would probably be a really easy one. And even if you haven't got walk anywhere to walk to, just get up and walk in the morning. Mm. 20 minutes. And then you'll probably find you want to walk even further. And it doesn't have to be in a park or somewhere beautiful. Like, so be. Do a flaneur, yeah. which is, you know, that French word for um, walking around your everyday 
um, neighbourhood and observing. Right. Yeah. I like that. It's a tradition in the French kind of culture. Um, Baudrillard and a bunch of philosophers used to do these flaneurs, which is where you walk around an urbane setting and just look at people. And, mm. and the whole French Parisian culture is all based around that. Right. You know, you go and sit in a cafe facing outwards onto squares and people... The original you know, people watch Just walk around. Yeah, yeah they don't go... Farah, they just go into their neighbourhood. Anyway, so that's what would be one. But one thing that I really do recommend, and it's going to make some people's eyes glaze over, is meditate. Learn to meditate. It's painful. You'll be crap at it. It'll be tedious. You won't want to do it, Mm -hmm. um, but it works. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I can't say much more than that. That's my experience exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a life changer though. Yeah. It becomes like cleaning your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's painful and ugly some days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, do I have to, Mum? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yes, you do. And I say this in the book, it's non-negotiable. Yeah. If you've got anxiety, oh, my God, it changes your life. And I meditate for 20 minutes and my head's a complete rat bag. But um, the proof is in the pudding. My life has changed mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it doesn't matter what you do in the meditation. It's what your life looks like as the a result. rest of the time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's it. been a great chat. I appreciate yeah. your, um, your time and, yeah, the insights. It's been tops. Yeah, and uh, your listeners probably need to know that you've walked into my apartment that I rent, furnished, it's an Airbnb, and um, Brooke's book, <laughs> very casually happens to be sitting on the top of, of a pile of books on my coffee table and I hadn't made the connection it was a beautiful serendipitous thing it was. So tonight that's what I'll be doing is <laughs> actually reading is reading your book which is on my pile of books I need to get through that was very not funny. need to want no. to yeah, what, that, yeah there's a difference <laughs> alright thank you Hi, Puck Pass.